You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, located in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. We hope this message is helpful to you in your journey with God. For the live stream archive of our worship services, you can visit youtube.com slash cornerstonelebanonpa. Christian community is best lived out in face-to-face relationships with one another. We encourage you to physically participate in a local church setting within your area. Learn more about our faith community by visiting cornerstonelebanon.com. Well, good morning, everybody. As Barry said, my name is Ron. I drink a lot of water when I talk, so... All right, so, um, yeah, today we are going to continue with our Luke series. It's, we are calling it the Traveling Light series. So this morning we're going to be reading out of Luke 13, verses 1 through 9 specifically, and I'd like to read that now. The subtitle is Repent or Perish. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The parable of the barren fig tree. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, but found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it. And put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Summer, 1913. That was a little louder than I expected. A man named Joseph Niles, pictured here, hiked off into the woods of Maine with nothing but a jockstrap. Which is a heck of a way to start a sermon. (laughs) He was set out to prove that he could survive in the wilderness for two months with nothing but his survival skills to help him. Now, he had managed to strike a deal with the local newspaper, the Boston Post, to cover the story, which meant that now in addition to the prize of proving himself as a master survivalist, he would also have a hefty chunk of change on the other side of this. He would become the first ever Bear Gorillas. Now, Now, the plan went something like this. He and the journalist covering the story agreed on a specific place in the woods where he would leave updates to relay his survival stories in the Boston Post. As his his survivalist journey unfolded, the public waited with bated breath to read his weekly updates. And guys, they were awesome. (laughs) On his second day in the woods, he managed to catch two trout using a trap that he had fashioned from the brush. Now, unfortunately, those trout were stolen. Those trout were stolen by two mink in a comical fashion. 
But he then went on to build a shack out of dead sticks and fur and moss. And he also fashioned some pants out of grass, which I'm sure were very uncomfortable to wear. But then the notes stopped coming in. After a week, the public grew nervous that things were not well with Joe. And then on the 11th day, the paper finally reported an update from Joe. The headline read, Nows catches bear in pit and kills it with club. Guys, this dude is crushing the survival game. He emerged from the woods two months later to a huge reception. He went on a tour around the country. Everyone wanted to see the nature man who had survived the brutal forest of Maine. Now, unfortunately, Knowles was not all that he claimed to be. It turns out that when Knowles went into the woods, he had gone directly to the cabin of a friend, his partner in crime, so to speak. He didn't update the newspaper for those 11 days purely because he was too lazy to hike back into the woods. All of his survival stories had been either complete uh, or partial fabrications. Now, after he became jealous of all the acclaim Joe was getting, his friend, who owned the cabin, routed, ratted him out. However, his disdain for Joe really all began one day when they were in the cabin together. Joe's friend decided to walk from the cabin into town to get a pie, an 11-mile trek one way. An 11-mile trek one way. When he had brought it home, he left it on the windowsill to stay cool overnight. When he woke the next morning, sorry, I'm thinking I might have a poor connection here. When he woke the next morning, when Joe's friend woke the next morning, he woke to the sound of scuffling and turned to see Joe scarfing down the last piece of the pie. Joseph Niles claimed that he was a survivalist, and yet he did not bear the fruit of that moniker. He was nothing but a lazy, dishonest, pie-thief-con-artist combo. <laughs> now today, as we are continuing with our Luke Gospel series, I'll be unpacking this uh, section in Luke, verses 1 through 9, which deals a lot with the idea of repentance in relation to fruitfulness. And we've also been doing a weekly prayer and practice point as we work through our Luke series. This week, I offer these as points of prayer and practice. So for the prayer, this comes out of Psalm 139, 23 through 24. I think if I don't move at all, we might get through this without any more popping. Um, Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of the everlasting. And for our practice, we'll get more into it later, but the title for our practice comes from Matthew 3, verse 8, which says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So as we get into the word, let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for your people who are gathered together here this morning, Lord. Um, I ask that your word would saturate our hearts, God, that we would be changed through, uh, through you, Lord, um, and through your word. Uh, God, I pray for technology, that technology works the way that it's supposed to. Um, yeah, Lord, would you bless our time together in your name. Amen. All right, so, verse 1. 
That was my fault. I will stop touching it now. (laughs) Verse 1, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, the exact situation that's being referred to here is generally unknown. Although a similar occurrence had been recorded of a time that Pilate had some priests killed who were believed to have been performing sacrificial duties in the temple at the time of their attack. Now, while, again, this instance is not believed to have been the same one being mentioned here, it does show how consistent this story is with the brutality of Pilate's reign. Verses 2 through 5, and he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, one thing that Jesus is responding to here is the widely accepted religious understanding of suffering. It was believed then, and sometimes is still believed now, that if one was to suffer, that it is, it is in direct relation to their sinfulness. Jesus says, no, is not, that is not correct. And yet, what Jesus is not doing here is saying that those who had died are without sin. Rather, he is simply saying that they are no more or less sinful than all others. He is telling them that their sin was not the reason that they suffered in this way. Then why? Right? That begs the question, why? Why did they have to suffer? This is sadly a question that we hear all too often. Why did this have to happen? Why did this person have to die? Why like this? Jesus doesn't answer that question. As scholar Justo Gonzalez puts it, he simply tells us that a certain answer is wrong and then moves on to tell us that such tragedies, unexplainable and mysterious though they may be, do call survivors to greater obedience. He, Jesus, calls us to repent or we will likewise perish. So what what is Jesus saying? What exactly does this mean? I mean, repent or not, aren't we all going to perish? What difference does repentance make? Does repentance mean that we won't be subject to being killed by a falling tower? Or does it mean that those who repent will not die at all? What is Jesus saying here? A helpful observation may be to consider the word likewise. You will all likewise perish. What does it mean if we likewise perish? Or put another way, what does it mean if we were to perish in the same way as those referenced in the story? Now, I'd like to point out that the word that gets translated as perish in verse 13 is the word apollome, which does mean to destroy, as in kill or put to death. But it also is used as a metaphor, meaning to devote or give over to eternal misery in hell. Now, if we consider what it means to perish in the same way by the metaphoric and literal definitions, the phrase could have the following implications. Now, those who died likely did not anticipate that this day would be their last. They must have thought that they they would have more time to do this or that, 
in the same way, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Any one of us could drop dead at any time. This is a warning not to make assumptions about our longevity. Act now. James 4, verses 13 through 14, say this. Now, listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. Now, it is also likely that those who died tragically in this situation did not anticipate their death, that their death would be this horrific. Likewise, if we do not repent, our judgment will be far worse than we could possibly have imagined. Repent, or you will likewise perish. And so directly after commenting on these tragedies, Jesus then launches into a parable about a fig tree. The parable goes like this. We read it earlier. We'll read it again. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put manure on it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So the fig tree is one of the most adaptable trees. It could be planted and would thrive just about anywhere. But this one, for whatever reason, is having some trouble. And for a fig tree that hasn't grown fruit after three years, there's no reason to believe that it should ever bear fruit. The owner, the vineyard owner here, is totally justified in his judgment of requesting that the tree be cut down. But the gardener does something unexpected. He gives it a second chance. And not only does he give it a second chance, he gives this tree special attention as well. But if the tree doesn't bear fruit after all of that, he agrees that it is to be cut tree to simply be planted. What good is a fig tree that will not give fruit? To use the words of the vineyard owner, why should it use up the soil? Why have it use up the soil and give nothing in return? A tree that does not produce fruit cannot survive. This reminds me of an analogy about breathing that Justin shared with us a couple of years ago. So everybody take a breath and exhale. In order to properly breathe, one must both inhale and then exhale. But if one were to take rapid, short, shallow breaths, this would lead to problems. Not with oxygen not with intake, but rather with not exhaling carbon dioxide. In order to breathe properly, we must both inhale and exhale. We all know this. In a similar way, in order for us to be healthy spiritually, there needs to be an input-output rhythm in our daily lives. So consider this. As we are consuming the nutrients of the soil, are we producing fruit from those nutrients?
Also notice that the fig tree is getting exceptional treatment. Not because it is doing well, but instead because it is doing so poorly. Perhaps we too have been receiving a couple helpings of manure. Perhaps this is because we too have not been so fruitful. And in order for us to bear fruit at all, we had to have some help from the gardener. Earlier, we talked about this false notion that the reason that some suffered was because of their sin. Perhaps in the same way, if we find that we are doing well in life, we should beware of being quick to assume that it is due to our righteousness. Instead, maybe we are the fruitless trees who needed an extra helping of manure. And maybe we're still fruitless. So beware the dangers of using your state of affairs as a metric for spiritual health. Lastly, notice the judgment and mercy beautifully woven together into this story. The tree, already found wanting, is offered a second chance at fruitfulness. Often, we are offered many more chances than that. There will, however, be a final chance, a final judgment, one that either finds the fig tree with fruit or without it. So if we do not want to be found as a fig tree without fruit, we are to repent and turn towards Christ. It is this turning towards Christ that by his grace produces the fruit. Or said another way, There is nothing that you or I could ever do on our own volition that would enable us to bear fruit apart from Christ. Really good scripture on this idea is found in John 15, verses 1 through 6. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So I love the intimacy of this vine. Remain and he in you, and you will bear much fruit. The imagery here is stunning. Have you ever looked at a vine? And have you ever been to pinpoint, have you ever been able to pinpoint exactly the location that a branch starts and the vine ends and vice versa? You can't do it. The two are so intimately connected that they appear to be a unified whole. And it is only within this intimate connection that one bears fruit. In fact, we don't really have much choice for otherwise. When we are within the vine of Christ, that vine always bears fruit. Author Norman Wurzba says this regarding the matter, that if people are branches grafted onto the vine of Christ, drawing their inspiration and sustenance from him, 
their lives will naturally or inevitably witness to the life of Christ. But in order to remain in him, we must submit ourselves wholly to the gardener that prunes the branches so that we may bear even more fruit. Now, it's a difficult thing to be pruned. It means to present ourselves before God and say to him, Search me, Lord. Know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way within me. And lead me in the way of the everlasting. And those aren't just words. What's happening here and what's required here is that we submit ourselves to God for him to search us as the gardener searches the vine and to allow him to cut off that which does not bear fruit. But the fact of the matter is that people can choose to be in the vine or not. If we would rather not submit to the gardener and the pruning, we may decide that we would rather try to produce fruit on our own, outside of the vine. But that attempt would be futile. The other day, I was conversing with an agnostic friend who said to me, Ron, I hear what you're saying about loving one another. I get it. I just don't think that you need Jesus to do that. And the problem with that is that without Jesus, there's no true definition of what it means to love one another. The call to love one another itself becomes vague and meaningless when it's divorced from Jesus and the scriptures. So here's the scary part. Like, you don't need to be professedly agnostic for this to happen. Sadly, there are plenty of Christians who have their loves so disordered that the call to love one another comes above and before the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. And these people will boast in all of their good works instead of boasting in Christ. This leads to fruitlessness. Have you ever seen a nice-looking apple? This happens at my house all the time because we leave fruit on the counter way too long. But you go to grab for it. It looks good. And then you bite into it, and it's mushy, and it's bland and gross. That's the bitterness of fruitlessness. And surely the branch bearing no fruit is removed from the vine and will wither away and be picked up to be burned. Repent or perish. Now I know that for some of you, this might seem like something of a dismal message. I know it does to me sometimes. If I don't produce fruit, I'm toast. I can look inward, and all or most of what I see in myself is just not good. We can't bear fruit on our own. And if we, as we often do, expect something of ourselves that we are literally incapable of doing on our own, this will lead to what I call anti-fruits of the Spirit. And this is not an exhaustive list, but these are things like hatred, fear, anxiety, impatience, callousness, wickedness, harshness, infidelity, and a tendency to act on impulse. And yet, once you grasp the reality of all that, it's kind of beautiful, isn't it? It is kind of beautiful that the work of the gospel can not only wash away all of that stuff, all of your sin, but will lead you by his grace and mercy to bear fruit in Christ Jesus 
Hallelujah. Praise God for that. So this does bring us around to our prayer and practice point as we're kind of wrapping up here. So again, as we pray throughout the week, we want to be asking God to examine us, to show us the places where we have stopped bearing fruit, and for him to prune back those places so that new life, new fruit can go forth. So for that prayer, pray through Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of the everlasting. Now, for our practice, in just a moment, I'm going to read through Galatians 5, verses 19 through 26. And I'd encourage you to do this at home and throughout the week as well. This scripture is regarding the acts of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. So as we read, or as you read at home, take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, which act of the flesh do I need to repent of? Ask the Holy Spirit, which of the fruits of the Spirit do I need to further press into? And ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into that daily. So for example, I might need to press into uh, self-control and repent of jealousy. So my practice would be to ask the Spirit to lead me into those and practice walking them out daily. Now, I want to manage our expectations here a little bit. This is not something that you will have down by the end of the week. Yeah, Cornerstone's doing these practices now. I'm totally not jealous at all anymore, ever. Figured that out. Uh, No, this is a lifelong process. And for the record, you need all of the fruits of the Spirit. And you need to repent of all of the acts of the flesh, not just some. But as a practice point that we can focus on over the week, listen through Galatians as I read it right now, and read it for yourself at home. And ask the Holy Spirit, which act of the flesh do I need to repent of? Which of the fruits of the Spirit do I need to further press into? And ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into that daily. All right. So take a moment in prayer and silence and ask the Holy Spirit for those things. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 26. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Team, you can come back up. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for your word, Lord. Um, we thank you for the convictions that you put upon our hearts, Lord. Um, we ask as a body that you would prune back those places um, where we are no longer producing fruit. God, we ask that you would prune back those places so that through your grace and mercy, we might bear fruit. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are so much more merciful with us than we are even with ourselves, Lord. God, we ask for your grace as we uh, seek to walk in repentance. Lord, we ask that you would guide our steps, guide our, th guide our thoughts, guide our minds, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the fruits that it produces in, in us. May those fruits be glorifying to you, Jesus. In your holy name, amen.